Welcome everyone to Faded Mates. It's happening. Hi, Sarah. Jen, it's your week. It's your week. It's your week. The pressure I feel about this is really immense because like I've like all along been like, it's my favorite. And now I'm like, I will not do this book justice. I feel like any pressure that you could possibly be feeling is just will ultimately be eclipsed by my sweet ruin pressure. (laughs) True. That's true. So however this goes, it won't, it couldn't possibly not clear the bar the way the sweet ruin episode is not going to clear the bar. I really feel like, like we keep talking about how Cressley is leveled up and I'm like, but have we, are we ready? Um, I think we are. I feel like like I need the Rocky theme right now. Like we're like going to run some laps. I'm going to drink a fucking cup full of eggs. (laughs) I'm going to beat the shit out of somebody later. (laughs) Exactly. From another land. Here is the deal, you guys. It is Demon from the Dark. We are crossing into a new land of IAD. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. The new movement is here. We are on Torture Island. Yeah. Um, And shit is real (laughs) you know what's amazing about torture island too because i've been thinking a lot about this is we also like we're like oh god torture island's so bad and then it's like just kidding now let me transfer you to this demon plane yeah i was literally reading this book and i was like how what the fuck is going on in cressley cole's head (laughs) (laughs) i mean don't get me wrong i love it but at the same time Holy shit, this is all yeah. just so grim and weird. It was dark days. <laughs> yeah. Demon from the dark. Yes. <laughs> and it's really interesting because we're coming off of Pleasures of a Dark Prince, which is the Gareth and Lucia book. Levels up, like it's much darker. There's some there's a super grim here uh villain in that one. But it's still sort of like rollicking and fun. Yeah. And this book is not so rollicking and fun. No. And part, I think it's intentional because of Caro. And I'm just going to set that down and then I'm going to turn it over to you. You know, it's funny because I I say a lot, this is my favorite book. And I, so like rereading it, I really was interrogating that. Like, why is this the book that really spoke to me? So I think it's a couple things. One is... I really do love a heroine that's backed into a wall. Because I think when you put characters under an extreme amount of stress, you really see what they're made of. Mm -hmm. And I, so I'm just interested in, in that in general. And it's not like we haven't seen that before, but, you know, she has a child elsewhere that she needs to get back to. And I think that this is a big part of the, um, I don't know, the stakes seem a lot higher in that way. It's not just her, right? Yeah. I think all of that is true, and I agree with you. And we've seen Cressley play with this archetypal heroine against a wall a lot over the series Mm -hmm. to date. But what's really interesting to me is that adding the child in in this particular book makes it okay that Caro does what she does both for the reader and for Malcolm. So, but what's really interesting is a craft thing that I think Cressley is doing here. So 
I do think that we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. Let's briefly then, I'll briefly say, and then you're going to come back to this because there's a plot I hate and somehow this book does it and I love it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what's part of it too. But Caro is on Torture Island. Um, The order, Declan Chase comes to her and says, um, you, we have to send you to retrieve this vampire demon hybrid. You're the only one that can do it. We're going to turn off. The, she has this torque around her neck. Every, all, every um, Everybody in there does, and it controls them. They can't, any of their magical powers or abilities are stunted by this thing. So they say, we're going to send you there. You'll have six days. We're going to open a portal on the way back. We'll turn off your torque when you're there. It'll still be on. A half an hour before the um, portal opens, it'll turn itself back on again. And your job is to bring this man, this vampire demon back, no matter what it takes. And and she's like, there's no fucking way I'm going to do it. And they say, oh, well, here, here's why you're going to do it. And it turns out that one of the baby witches in her coven, seven-year-old Ruby, they've killed Ruby's mother, which is like Caro's cousin or like essentially a very close female relative. And Caro is her only living relative. And so it is now understood by like the laws of witchcraft, essentially, that Caro is now responsible for this child. Yeah, it's she's her mom now. And she does not blink. Right. She Uh has she's like, yes, this is my responsibility now. And so I think there are a couple of interesting things here. One is Caro's really young. She's only in her 40s. Um, Right. And she's kind of a mess. Like, she's reckless, and she drinks a lot, and she parties a lot, and she gets herself in prison. And part of the reason why she's on Torture Island, and I think it's time for us to sort of talk about the mythology of Torture Island, too, in the sense Mm -hmm. that – so Torture Island is run by a group of humans who are aware of the lore, are interested in the lore, and want to know more about the lore, but most importantly, want to make sure – that the lore does not get discovered by humans. And Caro is on Torture Island because she's reckless. I think there's also this, uh, like, as the book goes on, there's some interesting conversations where what happens is essentially the Order becomes aware that the accession is happening Mm -hmm. or about to happen or is gearing up. Mm -hmm. And they think that that humanity is the is the enemy the lore will be fighting. They don't realize the lore is just playing to fight each other. And of course they're not going to get told. I mean, the lore doesn't even sure. tell these turned vampires. The Roth brothers didn't even know what the hell the lore was. So these fuckers are definitely not going to learn. Their mentality is very much that of the nuclear arms race. And there's a part where um, Fagley or Declan Chase actually says... Um, Something along the lines of like, like there's four demons out there, and if we don't get them, someone else will. And it is, in, and and Cressley explicitly something we talked about last time is like humanity is the most dangerous thing out there. She explicitly says it in this book. She says human fanatics are more monsters than anyone in the lore. Yeah. And so we really get this like monstrous, hyper patriarchal kind of society that's obsessed with essentially like the nuclear arms race of the lore and what they're trying to do in their vivisections and in their testing and in their torturing is essentially discover the like biological secrets of lore beings to turn them into weapons that can be used by humans. Yes. And then 
ultimately, by the time we get to McCreeve, we see what the big, ba- like, what the real goal is. But we're going to get there later than this. Right now. Yeah. For the purposes of... So don't email us. <laughs> we're going to get there. We know that this is not all of it. But a lot of you don't yet. So. Yeah. So Torture Island is also a essentially a secret medical facility, right? Like, they are yeah, testing like on Laura Beings. Somebody no. in our... Um, in our Twitter feed, posted a picture of that Buffy play, yes. the, and I have to assume the timing is right for Cressley to have been a big Buffy fan, and oh, for absolutely. that to have inspired this. The the time those of you who are Buffy fans, there's an episode where Spike and Buffy, uh, Spike and Angel. It's a whole season, uh, really. Yeah, it is. That's the whole thing. The whole Riley season. Right. I always liked Riley the best. I know. I know I'm going to get letters about that, but I always did. I was like, Jesus, Sarah, just blow up our entire fucking fan base right there. <laughs> I liked Riley the best. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> you guys, Jen looks what? just shocked. Please don't stop listening to us. Oh my God. <laughs> my mistakes. Okay. I um, guess we're about to have a Buffy episode as some sort of interstitial. I mean, whatever. Spike is super great. Angel can go take a walk, though. I don't understand. I once read that article about how Sarah Michelle Gellar, like, the day that she and Angel broke up on the show, like, she cleared the set to have a cry or something. I mean... That's mental, and Spike is a thousand percent better than Angel. Anyway, point is that whole Riley season. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what it was called—the torture building. I don't know, but there was a whole thing where that like everybody was getting abducted by like the army or whatever. Yeah, right. Sure. And Same thing. They had Spike and Angel in cells next to each other, and they were torturing them with light. I remember, like yes. UV rays or something. And that's what this is, essentially. So this is all happening. Also, I think it's important for us to just name check a couple of people who are going to be important for those of you who are just reading this for the first time. Declan Chase, we know instantly. The moment, I mean, he's the first person Carol talks to. I mean, she has Fegley, like, walk her. Like, there's the guard, Fegley, but no one cares about him. And then Declan Chase is the person who's in charge of Torture Island, ostensibly. Um, Mm -hmm. And he is responsible for all the medical testing that's going on. But he himself only tortures Regan. Mm -hmm. Set that aside. That's going to be important later. And um, the... There's the doctor. And then there's Dixon. I can't remember her name. Oh, Dixon. There you go. And Dixon is really interesting because... She's obviously. We get more about her next book. Yeah, she'll be in in another book. But uh, she's curious in this book, too, because... She obviously, like, is working on the side of these monsters. But also, um, at one point, she says she's she sort of prepares Carol for what she's about to experience. And Carol's like, fuck off. I don't need your help, human. And Dixon is like, well, okay, because I'm pretty sure you will. And then it turns out the moment Carol gets through the portal into... I forget what the even the name of the land is. It's tr- well, he's a Trothen demon. The city is named Ash, but I can't. Re- I actually can't. it begins with O. Oblivion. Yeah, uh, Oblivion. Of course. Um, once Carol gets through there, she's like, "Oh shit! I should have been listening to Dixon," which is a perfect Carol <laughs> moment, right? Like, right. I think what's really fascinating about this is we've seen young heroines before, right? Like we saw Holly, who was in herself very composed and nervous and so re- restrained. 
we saw Emma, who was written as a wallflower, right? Like, restrained Mm -hmm. and, like, had to come out of her shell. Caro is in no way restrained. Caro is a nightmare. (laughs) I love her. She's great. But she is a very different young heroine, and she is young in a reckless way. Like, yeah. We always, I always joke with my friends who have teenagers that, like, the reason why teenagers do stupid things is because they're literally their frontal cortex isn't co- right. completely defined. And I feel like Caro's frontal cortex just, like, isn't there <laughs> yeah, yet. Right. Like, she's making bad choices. But the moment Ruby's on the line, she makes a good choice. Now, here's the part that's really interesting. And I was thinking about this, and you, and maybe this will get background, circle back around to the craft thing you wanted to talk about. One of my most hated. A, a plots one that i almost will never read like you would literally you'd have to be like you or cressley for me to read a plot where the setup is that one character is lying to another and i know it mm. i just i hate it right i'm just not down with it at all and so there's a couple of things that i think are interesting one is of course like you said because we know about ruby and because we know that she was literally given no choice we I was very forgiving of it, even though my sympathy for Malcolm the entire time oh, was just like through the, the roof. Yes. Right. And just because we, of course, know what she doesn't, which is this betrayal he suffered from his friend. Right. Who I mean, in the Viceroy, all the betrayals that Malcolm suffered. Yeah. Malcolm's childhood is really deeply. Ugh tragic i mean jen and i are being very cautious about not reading ahead and i i actually this was the first time that i read the first chapter of this book the the, which is set during malcolm's youth and i had a moment of like oh this is so tragic and it's really hard to read his past so can i tell you something i listened of course i've been re-listening on audio I couldn't even listen to this chapter because I can read faster than I can listen. Yeah. And it's just so painful. It's too much. And it's, and it's, I mean, she has to push us. She pushes us. I mean, it makes sense that this terrible, terrible thing has had to have happened to him. Um, But he was a blood slave. He was a sex slave. He was abused. He was kept. He was sold by his mother. He has been abandoned by every person he has ever trusted. He has been abandoned by every person who has ever supposed to arguably taken care of him. So, and we see three very important betrayals with Malcolm. We see the betrayal of his mother. Yep. His mother sells him yes. as a child. Um, we see the betrayal of his friend alongside whom he's fought for. Callan. Yeah, for, uh, he's fought wars. He's protected. He's He's fought for everything. He's been Callan's second in command. Um, mm-hmm. And Callan is weak and can't. He doesn't have the strength that Malcolm has. Strength comes back over and over again, also in Latin. I hope you were making Latin notes. And then we see the betrayal. We see Caro's betrayal. And yeah. those three. I mean, so what we've got is mother, best friend, and brother. And lover. And yeah. then not just lover, mate. You know, here's the thing I... I was also thinking a lot about in this, which is, um, and I think it's related thematically to the idea that she has to keep this secret from him, is there's a lot of times in this book, casually or, 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 or really explicitly, where 
Um, and it starts with Nyx. And she tells Mariketta, like, if you want... Because the other thing I really liked about this book is, like, all my fucking favorites reappear. And there's a part where Nyx says to, to Mariketta, if you want me to find her, you have to tell me something no one else knows mm-hmm. about her. And then, of course, there's a part where Malcolm is sort of interrogating Ruby. And she's like, I'm not supposed to tell you. And he's like, yeah, but it's me. And there's a whole thing here about secrets, mm-hmm. right? About the secrets that we keep from each other, about the secrets we keep from ourselves, about how the, like, the danger, the dangerous, like, po- like secrets power things. And I, and I think that there's, in that way, it makes sense, like, thematically, that there's a book where you have one character, like, keeping a secret from another, because how else are you going to explore, like, the damage that secrets do, mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that is, it's, you know, you get Lanthe keeping secrets. You get um, the two sorceresses in the in the cell whispering something to Ruby, mm-hmm. and we never know what it is. Mm-hmm. And so, like, time and time again in this book, there's these, like, and it's, and it doesn't really feel the same, like, breadcrumbs for later, although I'm sure some of them will appear, appear but just more like, you know, how, oh, it's just so heartbreaking. Like, I just found this book to be really like sad right and then if you can't talk to your person and and communicate like how it just turns like black and bitter well right? and like she that. layers yes you're a hundred percent right and that last bit about not being able to talk and communicate is layered very overtly in this they literally oh, yeah. cannot understand each other when they meet yeah well and i want to you know what i had on my list to bring back is remember we talked about blood drinking Mm. right and how i was like it's a cheat right and it's a cheat for like learning someone's story Mm -hmm. here it's a cheat for learning someone's language Mm. right it is Mm -hmm. essentially through drinking her and dreaming her memories that he can all of a sudden understand english again Yeah, he relearns english yeah, I mean, he like, knew it before. He did. It's not. It's not quite. Well, he magic. hid it from himself, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, but it's. I mean, he. It was so far like down, yeah, right? Yeah. So he essentially relearns it through her memory. So mm-hmm. it's another way. Of blood drinking is essentially like a a translation. It's like Duolingo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Agreed. But right. here's where I want to talk about craft because I have. I, okay. I have a few craft things that I want to discuss, and they're all here right now. So I've already talked about the fact that I think the child, um, Ruby's existence, this book could not have existed without Ruby, just like Kiss of a Demon King couldn't have resisted, could, have been, could not have existed without Lanthe. And what's interesting right. about it is that I, as you, as you all know, Sabine is not my favorite heroine in the IED series and she doesn't always work for me on the page and part of the reason why is because I I I admired her her strength and her commitment to her sister but Lanthe is a you know sorceress in her own right and a quite powerful one in this case there is never a moment where I'm not on Caro's side and it's it's yeah. obviously because she's protecting a seven-year-old who's just lost her mother. And I mean, yeah. whatever. I have a five-year-old. I am a mother. Maybe this is just pulling all of my strings, which it probably is. But also, like, there is this question of what I wanted to talk about is innocence. This question of um, Malcolm is really – there is something very innocent about him. 
right? Like yeah. he's he's been betrayed for so long that he's closed and he's he's had no choice but to be closed off from the world, right? He's right. been made into something that he never had a choice. Like his his choice has been totally taken from him from day one by his parents mm-hmm. and his friends and then the vampire who turned him. And then on top of it, he's a virgin. And on top yeah. of that, he has nobody, nobody on this desolate landscape. And then on top of that, he can't even speak to anybody. Like, he literally can't even yeah. share words with anyone on this landscape. He is I know. infantile, right? Yeah. And pure, primal, like, beast. Everything at the early, in the early, the first sort of third of the book... Mm, yeah. Until about page 90. Like, Can I tell you when it really is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me. Okay, Sarah, this is like, you know what a fucking nerd I am. So one of the things I really was like tuning into was in the beginning, she keeps calling him Veman, right? Which yeah. is like vampire demon. And then I was like, wait, when does she switch over to just calling him demon all the time? Right? Because Veman is other, but demon is something that is known to the lore. Mm-hmm. And you know what it is? It's the first time she's in the bath and he gets undressed and she sees him for the first time. Yeah. And it's not that she never calls him Veman. She never calls him Veman again. She talks about him like like a couple times. And then in the end, and like I'll skip to the very end when he's in the whole lore and they're like, Rydstrom's like, you brought a Veman in and all of a sudden he's other again. Mm -hmm. But like essentially that moment she sees him naked and it's sexy and it's sexual, but it's like seeing his self, mm-hmm. seeing him mm-hmm. makes him like hers in a way. He stops being other. What I was thinking about during much of this was that Caro is a human, right? Like she's a human. She's yeah, a witch. Right. She actually refers to herself as a human at some point. Like she talks about the fact that humans could only survive without water for X number of days. And she was feeling yeah. it. I mean, granted, she is immortal and she, I don't think, would die from dehydration. But this is a big piece of her, her identity. She's about as close to us. Like the witches are about as close to us as they could, as, as anybody else. Yeah. And so Valkyries have claws and we've done it, right? Valkyries have claws and vampires have teeth and demons have horns and, you know, everybody has a thing, right? Wolf hologram. Right. But the witches don't have those. Witches really are ordinary. They're as close to ordinary as possible. So a V-man is one step beyond abnormal. Oh, yeah. Like, there's witch and then there's all the lore and then there's, like, this thing that there are only four of. And I might add, was it the last book when... Nix was talking about demons, and Lucia, yeah. Lucia was like, they don't exist. It's not a thing. Right. And so, I mean, so far removed from anything that they've ever seen, including all of the all of the creatures on this planet. Like, she doesn't know how to oh, even yeah. articulate any of these creatures at one like, point. Like, what they are. She's like, some Cloverfield like, yeah. fucking thing. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Right, right. So And he can't believe that she doesn't know, like, this kind of crazy thing hunts in pairs. Why did you go running? You knew there'd be another one, yeah, right? Because he, he has no, no frame of reference for the fact that there is a world where none of this is threat. Like, yeah. Earth is not a threat. I mean, aside from fact, Torture when, Island. But you know what's interesting? You know what he says on Torture Island? He says something like, everything was alive here. 
So everything was dangerous. Yeah. Once he's on the island. Yeah, it's right? terrifying. So, to, yeah, it's, I mean, so for him, it's it, 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 like, and of course, oh my God, so many things to talk about. I know. Right? Like water and sharks and all that shit come back too. Like his, what he's really afraid of are the things that bring her like comfort and joy yeah. and happiness. Well, so I just came back, Jen knows this, but uh, you can all know this too. I was just away in Tennessee for five days in the Smoky Mountains with a lot of other writers. And I was with my friend, Natalie Parker, who writes um, these stunning um, YA novels. Her first book, Seafire, the, the log line is um, Mad Max, but on a boat. Like, it's just fine. It's awesome, right? So anyway, um, Natalie and I were talking, and we were talking about horror movies, and she loves horror, and I'm scared of horror. And we were talking about, and I was saying I'm scared of, I'm a scaredy cat. Like, I grew up in New England. I live, I've lived in New York City for 20 years. This vista, like the Smoky Mountains with nothing to look at but mountains and trees and snow and gorgeousness is terrifying to me because I'm like, where is the nearest hospital? How quickly can I? Can a police yeah. officer get to us? Like, if somebody comes <laughs> yeah. with an axe, how do we survive? And we were talking about the fact that in horror, that's part of why isolation stories are so popular yeah. in horror movies. Because city folk, of which most of, like, most of the world lives in proximity to a city, city folk are terrified of empty. But oh, yeah. in the reverse... When you find a person who's grown up, like, in quiet silence near the woods, near, like, in farm space, like, with lots of empty space and the nearest neighbor, you know, two miles away, when they come to New York City, it's terrifying for them. Well, and there were, like, huge movies about that in the 80s, right? Like, what was that movies like, Adventures in Babysitting is all basically, like, the terrifying city. But you know what? I say all the time... We in the city, we send our kids to fucking summer camp. Yeah. Right? Like I all the time I'm like, you know what? I wanna I wanna make city camp. Like <laughs> I want all these kids who like are afraid of the city to come and like learn how to fucking order dim sum. Okay, but now you're on your high horse about cities and that's not what I'm I totally <laughs> am. I totally No, but I mean I think you're right. Like you're you're on but to Malcolm something. is he is a country mouse in the city. When he gets to Torture Island, and he's yeah. ter- obviously Torture Island is fucking terrifying. What Declan Chase and everybody else are doing is horrifying. But for Malcolm, it's all the other fucking people, uh, and it's the fact that he was betrayed. He sees her, and he's so primitive. Like he's ha- he has such a like Neanderthal brain. When he first meets her, he sees her, and he's like, "She's mine." Like there's an instant yeah. like, "Mine, mine, mine, mine." <laughs> And it's a different kind of mine. I marked it because we've talked about mine and being like mine being sexy, like with no when like, you know, Conrad is like Naomi's mine. You're like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like when Lothair is like, Ellie is mine. Yes, please. Right. But when Conrad says it first, it's not great. It's very like, no. oh, she, that's that's my person. That's my person. Right. She's going to be my mate. She's going to be my partner. She's going to be in my in my space. She's going to, I'm going to feed her and I'm going to bathe her and she's going to be my friend and she's, I'm going to keep her and I'm going to hold her and love her and squeeze her tight. I'll take you home and lock you in a nice little cage and never, never, ever let you out except to pet you and love you and hug you and squeeze you all up. Don't that be fun? 
Yeah, it's a little creepy. And you're like, ooh. And Carol's like, hold up. <laughs> but my, my, the button on that is Ruby. We see Carol love Ruby, right? And we see, it's definitely shown to us that Carol loves Ruby and she's doing everything for Ruby. But we don't fully understand how how much Caro is willing to be for Ruby until Torture Island gets unlocked and Malcolm's leaving the island with her. And she freaks out and is like, I have to get back to her. You have to take me back down the tunnel. We cannot leave her. And he thinks to himself, this bitch loves whatever's in that tunnel and I'm going to kill it because she deserves to be tortured the way I've been tortured. And then he gets in there and he sees it's Ruby and he is like, mm-hmm. oh, my it's God. A little hand. Yeah. And he's devastated. And he under- yeah. and instantly. In, instantly knows. There is no moment where he even doubts why she did what she did. And he instantly begins to forgive her for everything. Well, and it's interesting because then there's this really interesting delineation between forgiveness and trust. Yep. Right? And I definitely want to talk more about that. But before we wrap up talking about Ruby, the one thing I did think was really one of my favorite moments in this book, a lot of my favorite moments in this book are about Ruby. One is um, we talk about like, you know, we're reading these books and we're like, yeah, you know, Caro, she's like us. She's like a human. But there's a point where Ruby is essentially like, I'm going to kill somebody. The sorceress told me if I kill another sorceress, I'll be really powerful. <laughs> and, and Carol, Which you is have true. this moment where, right, you have this moment where you really realize just how different lore beings are, where Carol's like, you're not killing anybody until you get paid. <laughs> and, and I remember being like, oh, shit. Sure. Sure. <laughs> right. Because how you raise children is really defining something important about your culture (laughs) right and then later on she tells malcolm like essentially like what we have in common and it is the way in which i think they're really tied together as a family unit is the things they share about like the losses they've suffered and so for like the bonding for you know Malcolm and Caro is about both this like this the way their fam their parents have neglected them but for Malcolm and Ruby it's about losing their mothers their mothers being dead. Mm-hmm. And and Ruby looks at Malcolm and is like I'm going to go kill them. And he basically tells her, well you have to make sure that when you do that you're strong enough to like win. <laughs> and again I was like well right the fuck on, I right? Mean... But it's not yeah. a terrible parenting advice moment. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's really like this moment where you're like, yeah, these these folks are different. But at the same time, coming back to this book, the, the, the thing I remember, and there's like a thing I really vividly remember about every book, like this moment, is the moment where um, Caro is essentially like throws Ruby at Malcolm and is like, save her. Mm-hmm. Because she knows she, I think it's right before the sharks or something, mm-hmm. right? And that moment to me is like, like, it just broke me. Yeah. Well, because it right? shows Caro's humanity in a really powerful way. Yeah. And then, and it shows it to us. It shows it to Malcolm. But it also shows her deep trust of him. Like, yeah. this is the most precious thing I have. And I'm giving it to you. Right. And that then makes his lack of trust in her 
all the more palpable. much more painful right and deservedly so I mean, yes, there's no sure. moment, and it, of course, this is one of those moments I thought this entire book, like, well, interestingly, I never, I, I wonder if readers, if any readers, and if you are a reader who read this and, like, really felt that Kara was unforgivable, I would like to hear that from you, just because I yeah. never, for a second, found her unlikable. I never, for a second, found her unforgivable. And but I, I certain but I they're so well balanced. Like Cressley does this really magnificent. It's masterwork in how to pair two characters. And at the beginning, it just doesn't make. I couldn't see at the beginning of this book how she was going to elevate Malcolm. I mean, I I don't know how to articulate it without maybe sounding like a jerk. But like Malcolm's in like sort of Neanderthal brain at the beginning, you sort of feel like, well, when are these two ever going to be able to? Right. Sort it out and like be real partners because it feels like Carol literally has to bait like wash the yeah. wash the dirt from him. And I want to talk about that scene because, yeah, you know, it's so I love amazing. a bath. Well, it's really. It's so much it's about like trust. Sanct- it's it's sanctifying. Yeah, it's right? amazing. It's amazing. So he, I mean, when he, for everything from like, can I, she's like, can I cut your hair? And I had this Samson yeah. and Delilah moment where I was like, is she, like, it almost does feel like she's taking from him. She's, she's, she's taking something away from him. And what she's taking away from him is freedom from fear. Yeah. Right. So like she's cutting his hair and she is making him weaker by virtue of the act. And maybe that's just me being a little English teacher, but like that's I you know, I love that. I know. You know, I'm here for it. If I wrote that paper for you, give me an A, right? Um, hello. Yes, of course. (laughs) I think it's just also too like the way water is so symbolic of like everything in in this book. There's no water where he is. And yet he controls all the water he can. Water is about wealth. Right, he and then they get to Earth, and water's falling from the sky, and yeah. it's, and but it's, and it's also sweet. punishing in a different way. It's sweet, but then a thousand miles of water before you can get to anywhere else, and he doesn't understand that. And there are creatures in the water, and yeah, yeah, it's sh- we get a return to sharks, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting, right? Because we saw sharks with Katarin, but also this bath, the bath. I mean, though, right? she, when she says, "I'm going to cut your hair," so. All right, what we hear is that water was t- the only experience he's ever had with water ever is torture, right? Yeah. When he it's another way that they he was tortured when he was a child. So he doesn't bathe because he hate he's terrified. Yeah. He is you terrified. We are of in it. his POV and he is terrified of the water. And she starts to cut him to cut his hair. She starts to she shaves his face. She um and then she mm-hmm. sort of gets brushes his teeth. She brushes his teeth. <laughs> and um it's a little like um, it is. I mean, it's it's a little like it's very Beauty and the Beast, like this whole scene where he's like, you know, I don't, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't like any of this stuff, right? Um, but it's also it's like a little bit. So as I'm reading it, I was like, oh, it's Beauty and the Beast. It's a little bit like this is maybe a a slightly Pygmalion thing, and then like on the next page, she's like, I feel like Henry Higgins, like yeah. Right. I think that there are a lot of really interesting moments here, but at the same time, like she unpeels him and then she washes his face and she discovers that this dark haired demon is actually a blonde. And she's like, oh, my God, he's like filthy. Who is he? And she's washing him away. 
And he's like the most beautiful thing she's ever seen. I know. And then there's that great moment where she wants to reward him, but they've already made a sex deal. I love a sex deal. We all know that. Of course. And they've already made like all these deals that they won't they won't have sex. They won't do all these things. So she just strips for him and then goes to take her own bath. And she does it like and then she calls him to her and he's like looks behind him. And he's he looks behind him like over both shoulders, it's, and then he's like me, like me, me, and it's so cute and like delightful, and I yes. just love, I loved it, I loved everything about I it. It's know. like Encino Man, but demon style. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Also, um, and in that moment, you sort of have so Caro's power. We haven't talked about this, but Caro's power comes from joy. Right. It comes from delight and satisfaction and joy and all the good things that we feel. And it the book has been so bleak into that moment. And she really the only time she ever even gets a little an an infinitesimal amount of power is when he is having sexual experience with her or, or drinking from her. Or just, but there's a part though where he's just happy that once he gets her back in his in the cave, house, yeah, yeah, right. He just exudes. She's like, he's like exuding like sort of satisfaction, like a fire, and she's just getting right? jolts not- of it, like more yeah. than she's ever felt before. Which, of course, we know is because they're mates. Yes. Now, wait. This is the part where I want to maybe yeah. talk about her ring, the ring from her yeah. parents. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The fire. Yeah. Now there's a really interesting thing. Like she loses the ring at the beginning. He finds it for her. He like throws in the fire and he then like reaches in to get it for her, like essentially burning himself. There's another part where she's like going to burn him with her magic. She's really pissed and he just holds on like and he essentially like outlasts her. But at the very end, this is a ring from her parents who have been super neglectful and really hurtful to her. They just never cared about her. She was just this pain in the ass Mm -hmm. there's this part where she like decides she has to let the ring go because she's gonna let go of this disappointment with about her parents and like and it's right it's really symbolic of her like moving forward with malcolm and and ruby and having a new life and she throws the ring in the ocean and there's this part and it's really subtle where all of a sudden she talks about like the depression and all these things like sort of just like drifting away from her And I found myself wondering if her parents hadn't essentially, like, jinxed her the same way Bowen's meat did. That, did this, like, I wonder if there was, like, a dampener on this ring. So she wouldn't get too powerful. Yeah. And I I don't know if there's enough, I will be honest with you, I don't think there's enough textual evidence to prove it. But it's how I felt. Sure. I mean, it's a talisman thing, right? It's a... yeah. And I will say this, Cressley does a lot of remarkable things with objects in this series, um, but there are a couple of talismans in the book in the books that don't always read the way they maybe could in the hands of someone like yeah. Lisa Kleypas, who like basically is a talisman genius. Mm. So maybe, M- maybe. I'm going to throw that out there or and it's hard to tell if it's like did it is it something her parents did or is it really like literally symbolic like she lets go but I, I it was just like a really interesting moment for me where I thought that seemed pretty easy like that ring was gone and all of a sudden you literally felt better and I just thought that was like an interesting moment in the book 
All right. I I think we should talk about what well, we t- mentioned the sex deal, but I think we need to talk about how hurt she is when he refuses to come inside her. <laughs> do you remember this? I do. Right. So she's basically like, no sex, no sex, right? And then the day before she knows they're going through the portal, she decides they should try it. And he essentially, like, gets so excited that he bites her on her breast. And she's, like, really furious. Because she was like, no biting. Like, I said yes to this, but I didn't say yes to this, right? She's, like, training a dog. She's training a puppy. I know. (laughs) And then right after they get back and they sort of settle things and he understands about Ruby, um, she thinks she's like, you understand now you understand. And he's like, I do. And they and they have sex and he pulls out. And she is so hurt. Yeah. And and he's like. I, I thought you wouldn't want to have a baby, but she knows it's because he doesn't trust her. Mm-hmm. And it's like a really interesting. Well, it's. Um, well, he's never been able to be in control of his sex life before. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important for him to like exert that. Mm-hmm. But it, it's just like she knew she knew what it meant and she was so hurt by it. It's interesting because this book is two books. Right. It's the first the first part of it is Beauty and the Beast. And the first part of it is, you know, and then there's the whole torture. If you if you take torch, you could lift Torture Island out of this book. It wouldn't be as good. But yeah, you could lift it out and have it be some other betrayal. Right. That she's affecting. Right. Um, but the, so the first part is Beauty and the Beast. And then it's um, and there is, you know, sort of this betrayal between the two of them. But the second part, the sort of back, say, third of the book is really marriage and trouble. And it's about two people who have to find their find a way. They've they're partners, they're partners, and it's actually really truly marriage in trouble because they have a child who they both yeah. love and they're not willing to give neither of them are willing to give up on each other, but it's really fucking hard. It's hard to stay yeah. married. And it's the scene, there's the scene with Ruby where Ruby discovers that Malcolm is a vampire. Yeah. Um, which has been kept from her. And Malcolm thinks that it's been kept from her because um, because Caro hates vamp, like doesn't want to doesn't want to reveal that piece of him to Ruby. Right. Because Caro's ashamed of yeah. her, of, of him. Um, but in actual fact, Caro's not been revealing it because she's afraid that she doesn't want to tell his secrets. Like she's so, yeah. it's again, one of these, like, right. I don't want, I don't know where the lines are. So it becomes right. clear to Ruby that Malcolm, they're like on a beach or something. Yeah. And like, Ruby's like, oh, you're, you have fangs. And he says, yes, I'm a vampire. And she's like, a vampire? You know, they're not supposed yeah. to, we're not, I'm not supposed to talk to vampires unless they're married to Valkyries. Like, and yeah. he's like, well, you know, you can talk to me. Oh, and she's like, well, well, have you ever bitten anybody? It's like when you see somebody, like when you meet a police officer right. for the first time, you're like, have you ever shot anybody? It's like that. And, um, she, and he's like, in fact, I've bitten Caro. And like, there's yeah. this moment where they're like, what? what? And she's like, oh yeah. boy, here we go. And then they have this sex talk. Like Ruby's yeah. like, this like weird sex talk where Ruby's like, well, um, is it, did it hurt? And she's like, no, it's like a hug. It's how we show each other that we love each other. Like, oh my God, it's so true. This goes back to your well, like parenting, or these yes. like, crazy parenting conversations in the lore. Um, we should do like a whole Instagram, like 
every once in a while on Instagram, we should post a parenting parenting tips from the lore. Parenting tip from the lore. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah, biting is like That's a really hug. funny. Um, sure, they're looking at each other, Malcolm and Caro, yeah. and they're they're having a whole separate moment of like. I care about you. This matters. I'm sad. I miss you. And it's all yeah. happening subtextually while they're talking to their kids. And like, if you've ever been married and had children, you know that sometimes you do sort of make those, you have those communication yes. moments via your child. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know what it strikes me too is Caro, even though she's like wild, like, right? Like, she was never mothered by her parents. And so when she embraces mothering Ruby, it's really this lovely thing, right? It's really beautiful, I think. But for Malcolm, I mean, he goes, it's really fascinating how he hopscotches through essentially like he goes from I'm just myself to now I have a wife to now we are a family and to the end to like now we are a community. Mm -hmm. Right? And so like what, what, she gives to him is what he's always wanted right which is to be accepted for who he is and to you know to to have a family to be like a a person a person worthy of respect Mm -hmm. and the and that whole like like arc for him is so i don't know it's just so lovely it's magnificent you know because really what we haven't talked about is Lothair and and we should get to Lothair watch in a bit but the yeah. there's the moment in the sort of dead center of the book when Dorada comes for the ring finally yes. right another ring right um yes. another ring with a lot of power so yeah um Dorada comes to torture island she like comes out of the sea <laughs> um, <laughs> with her wendingos <laughs> and yeah, um, the oh, Robert Peckoff, by the way, like her, like when he's like, ring! <laughs> it's like really something he's else. Like, this is awesome. I'm excited. He has had a great time with it for <laughs> so, sure. Um, Dorada comes for the ring. Lothair's like, come, come for me. I'm ready. Yeah. Like, it's time. Let's do this. I'm tired. Right. And Dorada, as she comes through, she's a sort of p- being of pure evil. So she unlocks all the Pravis creatures. Yes. But none right. of the Vertas creatures. And right. Malcolm gets unlocked. And he's mm. at once totally shocked because, mm-hmm. and I think partially and rightly so, like he's like, well, wait, I'm not. I'm a, not evil. I'm not. Yeah. a bad guy and Lothair's like I just did you a solid and then he fucks Lothair which I love right like and, and <laughs> yeah, totally, like, right. so but Lothair's like I just did you a solid you're good but in that moment it's like another reminder as if this whole thing hasn't just been shit on Malcolm week in IAD yeah. right like where he's been betrayed by everyone and then like you know his had his horns cut off he's you know been tortured he's had all this stuff happen to him then, like, this vampire who is – who Lothair, who is pure evil, mm-hmm. has basically said to him, like, you're one of us. Yeah. And, right. And so then he he's like, the outward view of me from everyone is you're one of us. Mm-hmm. And Carol yeah. and – it's a constant Ruby. battle. It's a constant battle to prove that he is deserving of love. Of love. Yeah. Which, of course, is why oh. you love him. 
That's why. I know. He, that is why I love poor him. Poor broken yeah. baby. You of like a broken course. hero as much as I like a broken hero. You just like oh, them. Yeah, you course. like them broke different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Can I tell you one of my favorite like moments upon rereading? And at some point in an earlier episode, I remember even which book which book it is. I talked about like how often in this series Nyx is really the hand of fate. Mm-hmm. So there's this like amazing moment where um right before La Dorada shows up, where these two sorceresses are like, How the fuck did we get in here? <laughs> and then they're like, right, like we are like so much better than this, right? I and love all the women in this. Oh in, my on god! Torture yes. Island, like all the women are so good. All of them. The thing that's amazing is then, like, I think it's Lanthe's. Like, yeah, we're pretty convinced. Like, a soothsayer must be helping them. And I was like, you fucking dummies! It's Nix. <laughs> Nix is the one who definitely was like, all right, I'm gonna break this shit up. So I'm gonna have them help them collect every, like, literally all the players in place. Uh-huh. So that when La Dorada comes and unlocks those things, that these two sorceresses are basically like, whoop, whoop, it's our <laughs> turn now, right? I'm going to like raise the literal granite out of the fucking the middle of this island. So it's good. amazing. Also, here's what's really bananas about this, Jen. And maybe it's just me not being a good reader. But I've read this series how many fucking times? And if you had said to me, Torture Island begins and ends over the course of Demon from the Dark, I would have told you you were wrong. I would have been like, yeah, no, no. it doesn't. It cro- it's, four, it's at least four books. We don't get to the end of it for four books. Like, how many times have I been like, oh, well, eventually he's going to get the ring. And in my head, eventually is four books from now. And the yeah, reality no. is... It all is happening in this book. And then now we have four more books that all are Torture Island adjacent, like layering Torture Island. Well, it's like the same way we realized the first movement all takes place over three weeks. Here's the next three weeks. She's so good. It's like 28 days later, IAB style. I I know. It's so. It makes me feel really bad about myself. (laughs) God damn it, Cressley. (laughs) Oh, can I? There's one thing I wanted to say. Yes. You know I love groveling. Mm, I sure do. <laughs> I That's a lie. I like it when a hero grovels. And I will tell you, I, I think Caro does a lot of groveling here, right? A lot of, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now, there are a lot of times she's also like, I'm not sorry for that. Yeah, which is honesty. Yes, and I love that. It's really interesting to me that in, for the heroes in this series apologizing is about you and i've talked about this a gesture right mm-hmm. you know what's his name's like okay well, let me buy a house holly yeah and now you know that i've apologized yeah and caro it for women though it, it's about saying it mm-hmm. and malcolm doesn't really even believe her until he essentially like traces to her and overhears her like basically being like you've got to get me fucking back there that's my husband mm-hmm. and i think it's really interesting the way and and i guess i kind of just want to revisit it because of the sabine conversation right mm-hmm. like she has to grovel a whole fucking lot even though we understood the entire time why she had to do what she yep. had to do and i just want you to know that we're noticing I didn't like it yeah i noticed it yeah we're noticing I think that the grovel, well, we'll talk about this because I think we're coming up on a lot, a lot, Lothair. a lot of heroes. Well, Declan, Lothair, McCreeve, oh, 
uh, Rune. Yep. Um, Cian. All, All of them, them are going to have to grovel. And so we're yeah. going to have grovel watch too. Lothair watch, grovel watch. Yeah. I want to have Vow to the Lore watch. <laughs> I have two thoughts. <laughs> um, so to, there are two vows that are made. Um, oh, okay. The first time Caro tells Ruby, I vow to the lore that I'll come back. But then she says, you believe me, don't you? Yeah. So it's still not there. And then right. later, she tells Malcolm she vows to the goddess Hecate, which is not the same, really either. So it's still not here. I keep. I really. I. I would have lost money if any of you listeners would have taken me up on my bet last week that it, I thought it was going to happen this week. We're not there yeah. yet. So let's Lothair watch. So Lothair is here. He gets taken at the end of Pleasure of the Dark Prince. He is in here. He is full Provis in here. Declan has his ring. Yeah. Or at least knows where the ring is. And we still don't know the importance of the ring, but we know that he will do anything to get it back. Yes. And we're starting to see Cressley repaint him in the image of, like, hot dude. He's referenced as, like, super dreamy in this book. Yeah. And also, um... Like, kind of funny. I mean, I'm sorry. Well, like, when he's, right? Right? When he's talking to Malcolm, like, it's funny. Like, it's just, I find his humor and, like, that sense of, like, you know, like, like just, oh, my God, can you believe we're fucking here? But why don't you do what I tell you, right? <laughs> I just. Yeah. I, I Right? So he's interesting in this one, um, especially because it's clearer than ever that he knows what's coming. Yeah. Right? He's, I mean, well, he, he basically is like, she's coming, and she's going to come out of that water, well, and then we'll see what's going to happen. And his whole thing is basically like, she's going to find me. So you oh, yeah. fuckers have no idea what, what you right. have wrought by bringing me to this island, you weak fucking mortals who think right. you can go up against us and us this goddess and her right. skin cloaked dog <laughs> people or whatever they are yes wendingos yeah um so what else lost limb lost count limbs. was a little trickier because i've got to tell you well i will i maybe you all saw this let's on just Instagram. talk about heads man let's do it well malcolm this is the <laughs> a beginning of a series of of books in which uh I can't even say it because I don't understand it really. The hero procures the heads of her enemies as like a a a romantic gesture. Has Daryl ever said, "I'm going to get the head of your enemy"? Like if you've had a bad day no. at work, because he's like, "I'll bring you the head of your boss." <laughs> no, no. Eric has no. literally never offered to fetch me the head of my enemy. He's, I'm trying to think. I'm like, okay. He's maybe been like, do you want a lemon head? <laughs> nope. Or like deadheading a certain you, kind of flower. It wouldn't kill them, modern men, <laughs> to sort of at least say, like, if I could rip the head off of somebody, I would for you. He's so nice, Sarah. Daryl is a very so gentle is Eric. man. I know. What have we done? <laughs> If he anyway. said that to me, I would literally be like, creeper, what the fuck? I'm, and I will get my own heads. Thank you very <laughs> Thank much. Thank you very much. But also I like that Malcolm not only procures the head of his enemies, he then decorates his cave with them. 
I like how Which she's like, your of- curb appeal is really great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course, remember how gross it was that there are all those like dead body parts in, in Lucia's, you know, Kruok's little death dungeon yeah. but with malcolm you're like oh yeah sure well, he's just he just has a little brain right now later he actually like throws them at her i know <laughs> remember at the oh. beginning oh my god there's a lot um, there's a lot to unpack about that beginning and who he is and how yeah. he evolves and how women unlock men and how i yeah. mean there are a lot of like really interesting like questions about patriarchy and sex our gender oh, sure. and norms um, that are all sort of written in here because we've sort of she's pared down she's pared Malcolm back so much he's so and he is yeah. also the first hero last week we talked it's funny because last week we talked about how Gareth is really just a dog like a big dog yeah. right Malcolm is very pared back she's sort of he's sort of like one step down from Gareth, like or a few steps down. But you down know what? Yeah, but you know what? Okay, so uh, all right, so lost limb count. Let me finish, and then I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. Fagley loses his hand, which they all lose. You know, are gonna use to unlock their torch. Oh, fucking deserves it. Oh, totally. Um, but and then they kill him, which fine. Um, Malcolm, when he now, and this I think is really actually interesting. He's captured by his. He essentially gives himself up to his enemy in oblivion. So, because he's really afraid they're going to find Caro. Mm-hmm. And they actually are going to kill him, but first they cut off his horns. Mm-hmm. So I would I would count that in the lost limb count. But you know what's amazing is, is she really like brazens her way in there and saves him. Mm-hmm. Like very explicitly in a way that he like doesn't expect that he finds kind of amazing. He's like furious at her because he worries about her safety, but he is also... Like, these are the moments, right? It's like bathing him and then saving him and that are, and then wanting to go back for him. Like, it has to be a gesture. Like, she does have her gestures too, right? That show that she really trusts him and believes in him. And ultimately, I think it's why he does come around to, I do trust her, mm-hmm. right? Like, I forgive her and then I trust her. Mm-hmm. Um because what happens yeah. to him i conflated the two because the horns get cut off by the enemies in oblivion what yeah. happens to him in on torture island do we know he does not get vivisected no he doesn't she he gets dragged off into the cell and then when she comes he comes back she sees him and she says it's hours later and that he has blood coming from his nose and his ears and his eyes. And he calls like, her. He goes for her at the. He sees yeah, her in her and, cell, and he goes for her. And he's like, and "Is this what you wanted? Wife? Is this he calls what you wanted wife. to do to me, wife? Yeah, yeah." And and essentially, there's a conversation where Malcolm's like, "Yeah, I go for it. Torture me, Declan Jace." Yeah. And you know, Declan's like, "I'll show you new things about torture, but it is not on page." And I think. What that tells me is that nothing about that, although it was physically painful, is going to be memorable in the way that well, it couldn't his, be the worse. Emotional betrayals, right? Yeah. The, the emotional betrayals are what. Well, let's made also him have him. a very yeah. honest conversation about when you're writing a villain into a hero eventually, and you know it's coming yeah. because everyone you can't Kelsey's, yeah. you know, Declan is going to be a hero eventually. Yeah, and like. We can't watch him. We can't yeah, we see can't. him 
we can know he's killed people. We can know he's tortured people. We can know those things sort of mentally, but we can't see it because we can't ever unsee it. Right. So, I mean, I just don't see. I, there are many, 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 many things that I think Cressley could do that no one else can do. But that is one thing that I think is pretty sacrosanct. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of for Declan, sure. let's because we're over time. But I mean, whatever time. Time is all relative. You guys love us. So <laughs> speaking of Declan, though, I want to I want to just put a pin in Regan and Declan um, for next for next week i mean put a put you mean put staples with staples in them yeah so wait where do we go from here who's next it's them all right they are next okay it's deem it's dreams of a dark warrior dreams of a dark warrior which is regan and declan chase yeah. and essentially what we're getting is and again we saw this in the first movement it's like right like we're getting a, another book set on torture island it's gonna go back to things we already know and continue forward in time in a different way there's this interesting piece which is cressley already knows i mean cressley knows a lot of things i would guess that cressley has torture island planned out through lothair when she starts this and dark sky and Ulia McReeve. I mean, really, they're all torture island yeah, but, adjacent. I mean, McReeve, I feel like you could, you, like, McReeve doesn't require everything that's happened here to then re- right. happen in for his book. My point in this is that right at the very start, the first scene, really, of Torture Island is Caro saying to Declan, like, you only torture one woman at a time he says i only torture one woman at a time and she says yeah and you're after regan like now you're regan's your girl we all know and instantly every romance reader is like oh shit what's between the two of them (laughs) right yeah this is also the first time we see a dark fae which will become important obviously (laughs) well it doesn't really mean much to us now it's gonna mean more to us we are told she's poison though yeah, well, and I think it's going to come more into play in the next book because that's when we meet Thad. And Thad is not in this book, but nope. is in the next book. So right. and Thad will be important, too. Well, and I would just like to say, too, like, we got our baby Conrad Roth reappears and saves <gasps> the day. No, And Mariketta goes for him. Mariketta, and he's like, yes. he's like, hey, what do you need? And I'm like, <gasps> <laughs> And you know what he says? He's paying down a debt which can never be repaid. Yeah, which is Naomi. I know, but then it's crazy. And he like basically lights himself on fire in the sun and he goes back and Naomi's like, come here, baby. And she's going to fix him with love. Oh, I know it. I want like, this is really one of the first <laughs> books where what I started to want were like short stories, right? Where I'm like, Cressley, just like write me like two pages. Second epilogues of, of everyone. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, first epilogues. You know, I was thinking about that in this book. There are no, she never writes an epilogue. And I get it. She really can't because the accession is happening. So she can't really sure. give it all away. But my God, I just would like Christmas novellas for all of them. I would yes. like the, here's what I want. Cressley, if you're listening, I don't think you do listen, but if you are listening, <laughs> Um, first of all, I hope we're doing you justice. And second of all, like, could we have like the IAD Christmas special? Like, <laughs> where they're all like drinking demon yeah. brew around a fire. 
You know what, though, is great? One of my favorite moments in this, though, is Caro is thinking about how much she envies Mariquetta because Bowen is so devoted to her. And I was like, girl, did you not read their book? (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's part, and even at the end, right, like they essentially all brawl when they realize that Malcolm, the Venom, 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 Venom. No, Venom is Tom Hardy. Oh, I can God. see why you're making the mistake. <laughs> Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy is not Malcolm, though. No, no I was not like, at all. oh, he's Hemsworth. Like when she wipes him away and he's like just yeah. beastie and blonde. Anyway, go on. I actually think that he's more Jason Momoa, but can I tell you <laughs> something hilarious? So last night, my best friend Kelly texts me and she's like, Remember Sweet Valley High? And I was like, hello. I cut my fucking teeth on Sweet Valley High. Thank you, Francine Pascal. At the beginning of every Sweet Valley High book, remember how they were like, Mm -hmm. beautiful blondes, a perfect size six, they're golden lavaliers. She was like, every single fucking time she describes one of these demons as being exactly six and a half feet tall, it's like the exact same sentence. It's the Sweet Valley High treatment of the (laughs) IAD heroes. I'm here for it. (laughs) Okay, I don't know if I am. Malcolm is described as being seven feet tall. Rune is too. But you're pixie sized. I mean, you know, I'm almost six feet tall, man. I'll take it. That would be great. Okay, but they're not. (laughs) Have you ever seen that famous picture of like Yao Ming with um, Kevin Hart? (laughs) (laughs) Now you've ruined it. You've ruined it forever for me. Okay, but I'm not going to, because instead at the Oscars, like a week ago, Jason Momoa, who I looked it up, is 6'4". Oh, yeah, with his stunning wife. Lisa Bonet is 5'2". Teeny, tiny. And I was like, okay, this is my new, I'm going to replace Yao Ming and Kevin Hart. <laughs> with, with these two. Jason Momoa and Lisa sure. Bonet are my, yeah, so, fine. Next week is Regan and, oh, no. Next week is Food Truck Romance Interstitial with Adriana Herrera. Oh, yay! Because American Dreamer is out. She is a friend of the pod, as you all know. You should all go listen to her incredible analysis of Bo and Marichetta, if you haven't already. And I think she was on the Wicked Wallflowers this week. Oh, yeah. We'll link to that in show notes. For sure. And I don't, I mean, okay, you know what? Here's what I will say. Remember at the beginning, I was like, I'm very nervous and I'm not going to do it justice. I feel like it was fine. I do too, my love. You did such a good job. He's so great, and you love him. I know, and she's really a killer heroine. I I really love her. Yeah, I love her. I'm happy that they're. But you know what? Yeah, this is really like an action movie. Like this one, and I think maybe we saw that in the um, Pleasures of a Dark Prince. Yeah, I mean, but like the, the. Oh, I just really felt very nervous during a lot of this. And I like that. It's a lot. And Cressley, the world building here, the torture island. It's interesting, right? Because I remember one time I was with Susan Elizabeth Phillips and she said to me, it's really hard to do a scene that has more than four characters like really in it because Mm. you can't you start to really things get complex. You start dialogue starts to get really tricky. Readers can't quite follow what's happening all the time and this series when we're moving into a time when literally everybody there are you know 25 characters on page who are all on page at the same time and all able to hear what everybody else is hearing and all able to interact with each other and Cressley just does it with I mean it's artful how she does it and 
I mean, I know now I'm, what, 14 books in, and I've certainly written scenes where I have lots of people on the page, and it is incredibly difficult. And she does it with such deft deafness. And we're going to see it again and again and again over the course of the next couple of books. So, And it's funny because I think that one of the things I didn't realize I needed until it happened was to sort of like get the whole gang together. And there's a couple times in this series, and it happens in Sweet Ruin too, where you get essentially all the Vertas like hanging out on the steps of Val Hall mm-hmm. or hanging out in Marichetta's living room. Mm-hmm. Like and they're in a really... John Hughes movie. Yes. And I think <laughs> it's really interesting because it's it's her way of saying like, hey, look what I'm building. Look what you saw. You saw all the little pieces parts, but now let's watch them like move together yeah. on this wheel. And I think that those moments become really important to moving forward. And I can't overstate how complex this plotting is getting. Because yeah. even if Cressley does not plot her individual books, which is possible, I, I don't plot either, like before I start sit down and write. But even if she's not doing the individual books, what she's doing in every book is closing doors, right? She's saying, like, mm-hmm. the following six avenues are no longer available to me at, right. as I'm moving forward. So what's incredible is how she's laying the brickwork to level the whole series up toward the Morior. Right. Um And this is some – it's just – it's amazing. I was uh, – uh, I was I was talking about being with Natalie and talking about horror movies, but I was also with Sierra Simone in Tennessee. And the level of craft plus fearlessness that is going on at this point is just it's yeah. outstanding. So stick with us, everyone, um, because it's going to get crazy before it gets normal. <laughs> I don't think there's no more normal, actually. (laughs) We've crossed over into just wacky. Um, You are listening to Faded Mates, and we are um, very grateful for those of you who have subscribed and liked and reviewed on all of the podcasting platforms. We hope you will um, continue to do so. And if you haven't, if you have some time to leave us a review, we'd love that. Um, and uh, we'll find us on Twitter, on Facebook. No, we're not on Instagram. Facebook. Don't find us on Facebook. No. Facebook is terrible. <laughs> we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And uh, you can always leave comments on our website. Check out the show notes always. They're a joy. Happy Torture Island. Good warring. <laughs> Good warring. Oh, they don't know what that means yet. I do, though. But you're gonna know. All right. All right. Bye, guys.